Welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Parsons, and I am joined by the one and only Chad Owen. Good evening, New York. Good morning, Sydney. How are you, Mike? I'm great. I'm sitting here nestled in uh, the beginning of winter in Sydney, and I'm assuming it's uh, entering into those glorious late springtime afternoons in New York. Oh, summer is here. Summer is definitely here, and I'm enjoying it. Great. Well, I'm glad to see that summer has hit the lovely city of New York, and it feels like a very appropriate time for us to jump on an adventure um, into the world of innovation. Um, we're going to do uh, a lot of investigations of some of the, the greatest innovators of our time, and we're going to decode what they're up to, and hopefully hopefully, you and I and all the listeners can grab a little inspiration along the way. And today, uh, on this episode, we're going to be unpacking a conversation between Chris Anderson of TED and one of our favorite uh, innovators, Elon Musk. And hopefully, listening to this conversation and unpacking it, we can learn the skills and behaviors uh, that Elon has used so that we can learn and, and develop radically new ways of building things uh, in similar ways that, that he has. Yeah, and he he's done he's just done so many amazing things. He's a great great innovator to start with and it feels very timely because as we are recording this podcast, Chad, he has literally just 3 hours ago Elon has announced that he's actually withdrawing from the advisory councils with uh, the president of the United States. Because uh, America has just uh, decided to um, pull out of the climate uh, agreement that was founded in Paris. So a timely choice indeed, huh? I'm not surprised, to be honest. I mean, just given what Elon shares in this conversation on the TED stage, it's very clear that that action taken by the current administration kind of flies in the face of the future that he envisions. Well, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't go more opposite ways, really. So he tried. Uh, in fact, in in this talk that we're going to deconstruct, he actually talked about the whole reason for being on those councils was to give a voice uh, to the things that matter to him, rather than not be at the table and not be heard. So I think he's been very very much heard now. Be very interesting to see what the fallout is over the next couple of days, because. You've got Elon, who has you know a huge following, um, and pathing you know, really charging towards the future, and uh, uh, contrasting that with a, an administration which is, you know, going back uh, to some very old school uh, thinking in terms of how to drive the economy and how to think about the environment. So. I can't. I can't wait to get into to this uh, TED talk. So, I would love to open things up with my first clip. Um, so, what we do here is we're going to play a clip from this TED talk that happened very recently with Chris Anderson and Elon Musk. And the first clip we're going to listen to uh, is really about uh, the Boring Company, which is one of Elon's current. Uh, companies. He has six of them because he's just not busy enough. He has six. And uh, this company is all consumed with uh, building uh, networks of tunnels under major cities that have terrible congestion problems due to traffic. And this clip is uh, him getting immediately into the detail of the uh, the tunnel network he plans to build. So let's listen to that. Just to sort of show what we're talking about. So that there are a couple of key things that are important in having um, a 3D tunnel network. First of all, you have to be able to integrate the entrance and exit of the tunnel seamlessly into the fabric of the city. So by having a, an, an elevator, sort of a, a, sort of a, a car skate that's on, on an, uh, an elevator, you can integrate the entrance and exits uh, to the tunnel network oh just by using two parking spaces. Um, and then the car gets on a skate. There's no speed limit here. So uh, we're designing this to be uh, able to operate at 200 kilometers an hour, about 130, 
200 kilometers an hour or about 130 miles per hour. Uh, so you should be able to get from, say, uh, Westwood to LAX in six minutes, five, six minutes. <laughs> okay, so what was, to put this into context for, for the listeners, what was interesting is Elon went straight into uh, a very detailed user-centric uh, approach. He has the use case worked out. And, and what was very interesting about this observation is that he pinpointed that what was important is to be able to access this tunnel network from normal ground level through using uh, what is what looks like a, a car space just on the side of the street. And yeah, just like uh, I think it's like a, a spot and a half or two car, car Car right. parking spots. Right. So instantly, uh, not not disruptive. It's not like they need to build this huge tunnel entrance and have all this drama. He's actually thinking about it in terms of just using car spots. That would be the access points. Imagine lifts going up and down and just the car comes up. A bit like a, uh, a jet does on an aircraft carrier. And um, what was really uh, important for us to learn from this is how well thought out the, the user case was here and how he was really uh, very specific in terms of the planning that they had done, uh, the design aspects, so that it would really work in tune with the behaviors of people who are living, working, and getting around in cities and not making one of those kind of classic blunders of building some ugly, unfriendly, unusable piece of infrastructure. I think his attention to to the use case here was incredibly strong. And remember, he's like he's like ninety seconds into his talk, and he's already deep in those those details. I, f- I found that uh, a great reminder of how important it is to 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 know the use case. I found the contrast of this between Hyperloop really interesting because I think a lot of people just initially wrote off his idea for for the Hyperloop. But with what he's doing and how he's explaining what the boring company is doing with these tunnel networks, you know, within and between cities, it seems like, just like you said, he's thought it through much further uh, from the user's point of view. And I think that just makes it more real to, to people to envision and see, oh, yes, that is something that we need. That's something that we should do to alleviate traffic and, um, and to make travel times that much shorter. Yeah, yeah. He also, in this talk, um, actually makes the connection between his tunneling effort, which he refers to as the boring company, and uh, his other efforts. And you actually start to see that there is a, a hidden connection between all of these, um, which is really exciting. So you sort of start to see how Hyperloop works with uh, Tesla, which works with the boring company. So there's really a master plan here. I think we're going to go to the, this next clip. And this is, again, a great focus on detail. And he actually, uh, Elon is now breaking down how he's going to cause a huge saving in making tunneling much cheaper because it's enormously expensive. And just let's listen to how he's really broken down what it's going to take to make these uh, networks of tunnels 10x cheaper. And this is one of my favorite clips too. It's very illuminating into how Elon thinks about uh, tackling big challenges like this. I think we need to have at least a tenfold improvement in the cost per mile of tunneling. And how could you achieve that? I guess, actually, if, if you just do two things, you can get to approximately an order of magnitude improvement, uh, and, and I think you can go beyond that. So the, the first thing to do is to cut the tunnel, tunnel diameter. Uh, you drop the, uh, the diameter by a factor of two and the cross-sectional area by, by a factor of four, so... Uh, and the, the tunneling cost scales with the cross-sectional area. So that's roughly a half-order of magnitude improvement right there. If you design the machine instead to do continuous tunneling and reinforcing, that'll give you a factor of two improvement. Combine that, and it's a factor of eight. Uh, also, these machines are far from at being at their, their power or thermal limit. So you can jack up the power to the machine substantially. I think you can get at least a factor of two, maybe a, a factor of four or five improvements on, the, on top of that. So I, I think the, it, there's a fairly straightforward series of steps 
to get uh, somewhere in excess of an order of magnitude improvement in the cost per mile. Wow. Okay. So at the heart of what he's just done here is a, a, a very clear breakdown of what it's going to take to, he, I think he wrote, what does he call it? Orders of magnitude better. That's his keyword, right? Yeah. I think Elon, when it comes to numbers, thinks of everything in terms of powers of 10 or orders of magnitude, essentially adding a, you know, 10 to the power of one or two, three, essentially, you know, he doesn't want to just multiply. Uh, he doesn't want to have like a multiple. He wants the changes to be exponential, you know, so that's why he's thinking in yes. terms of orders of magnitude and powers of 10. In fact, you know, after selling his first company, Zip2, he actually complained that it wasn't a 10x business, meaning it wasn't making things 10 times better than they are today. And it was too marginal. It wasn't having enough impact. So it's, it's obviously a, it's an enormous driver for him. For, for, for the audience, what I want to point out here is this 10x thinking is something that they may have heard uh, mentioned before. Um, it's been really pioneered uh, by Google. And at the heart of this thinking is let's make things that are 10 times better, not just 10% better. And this is essential not only in your view of the world when you want to actually bring a new product or service to market, when you want to innovate, it's great for entrepreneurs because it's, you know, it's mathematically proven that if you bring a product, a service, a solution to market that's 10 times better, it has enormous odds of success. It's based on uh, the work of John Gormville from Harvard and in the show notes, will include um, his article uh, that really started uh, and sort of the whole 10x thinking has snowballed out of this. We'll put that into the show notes. And it is, in, in fact, John actually went and spoke at Google uh, many years ago now and inspired them into, into really getting into this 10x thinking. And I think for anyone who's really wanting to do something uh, that has big impact in the world, understanding the, the nature of why 10X matters and how to actually do it. Um, this article is, is fantastic. So that'll be in the, in the show notes that you can get at moonshots.io. Now, it, yeah, go for it. Well, I think just how much Elon uses this orders of magnitude uh, mental model or powers of 10 not just in this talk, but anytime he's speaking about anything that he's doing um, is really illustrative of how he thinks about what he's doing. And if it's not 10 X or even more to him, it doesn't, it doesn't matter really. Mm. It's, it's not worth, it's not worth the time and investment because it's not going to move the needle as much as he wants. And my biggest takeaway from, from that, that kind of thinking is so much of what we do is just an incremental improvement. Mm. Um, whether that's, you know, putting the, the final touches on a creative project that we have, or, you know, trying to do work for a client, it's usually incremental work. And so I think what Elon inspires with this line of thinking is how, how can we go beyond that and how can we really 10 X? Yeah, I think that, and you see this 10 X thinking coming out in the next clip because, uh, this is a re really, we're going to segue over into, into the, the Tesla part of the interview that he did with Chris Anderson. And now we're going to get into, um, where we are, what's the state of the nation with Elon and autonomous, vehicles and just have a listen to how he explains where they're at. Um, I think the, we're still on track for being able to go um, cross country from LA to New York by the end of the year, fully autonomous. Um, and okay, so, so, so a car, by the end of the year, you're saying yeah. that someone's going to sit in a Tesla without touching the steering wheel, tap in New York, mm -hmm. off it goes. Yeah won't have to ever touch the wheel by the end of 2017. Yeah, essentially 
November or December of this year, we should be able to go from, yeah, all the way from a parking lot in California to a parking lot in New York. No controls touched at any point during the entire journey. Amazing. Okay, so for me, a little different take on this is, um, you know, it's very easy with these sorts of projects to get caught up in engineering talk, uh, data, zeros and ones, and, and, and so forth. What is so powerful about what Elon just did is he told a story, and he gave us a great metaphor of, hey, coast to coast in the US of A, and we're going to do it this year. And you could hear from the reaction of the audience, and, and the host was spellbound. Chris is like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Um, and this year, what do you, I, I told my wife yeah. this and she, she did not believe it at all. And what's very interesting is when I speak to executives in the energy and automobile industry, even they find it hard to grasp. So when I'm, you know, waving the flag for urgency because of the transformation that is coming due to autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles, even the industries that this is directly affecting are struggling to come to terms with this. But this metaphor, when he says from a parking lot in California all the way to New York City, this just is so powerful and it really is important for us to remember that when we are on a mission to create something that is truly remarkable and disruptive in the world, you know, we can get caught up um, uh, what, what we call in the US talking inside baseball. And a lot of people are finding uh, that industry talk hard to relate to. Elon just does a great job here of putting it in our own terms and capturing our imaginations. And actually what's interesting is that the science of storytelling is such as when you have that whoa uh, feeling actually that marks the information in your brain. So it actually makes it more memorable and you can retrieve that information down the track. So to me, great storytelling uh, is at the heart of what all entrepreneurs do because it's not only how they, uh, how they win the hearts and minds of customers, it's also how they, they, they get people on board uh, to do the impossible mission with them, which is something Elon does very well. Yeah, and it reminds me a lot of Steve Jobs' iPod reveal when he says a thousand CDs or a thousand songs in your pocket. In your pocket. Yes. It, you immediately understand what the transformation in your own life will be because of this new product or service. And I don't think a lot of people, my wife included, really understood what Tesla is trying to do. And imagining yourself... In a, in a Tesla in California, not touching the controls and 24, 30 hours later, you're in New York. Like it is uh, a really powerful image that he conjures with that. Um, but I, I know you have another clip that goes even further into just simply how this autonomous uh, fleet of vehicles will, will, dis- will disrupt the entire industry. Right. So this this next clip is Elon um, exploring the implications of autonomous fleets of cars. Um, have a listen to this, and then we'll 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 explore what this what implications this really has. So there will be a shared autonomy fleet where you buy your car, and you can choose to use that car exclusively. Um, you could choose to um, have it be used only by friends and family, only by uh, five-star, other drivers who are rated five-star. You can choose to uh, share it sometimes, but not other times. Um, that's, that's, that's 100% what will occur. It's just a question of when. Right. So this, this is one of those clips where you, when you, and, and you hear him taking you on this journey of, I just immediately imagine, Chad, that that I have this, I go to a meeting, my car drops me off, and then I turn around to the car and say, okay, you pick me up in two hours, go have some fun, give me a call if you need anything, and then it goes off and drives all these other people and then comes back and picks me up. It it, it has such um, 
such dramatic implications uh, to the way we get around, to to mobility, all, all that kind of uh, activity. But I, it, it also makes me my mind just explode with the possibilities of how this redefines everything from the gas station to the way we um, to the way we get around to 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 the way we insure our cars. And, and even to think of, well, what are we going to do with all of this time that's no longer occupied with driving? Um, so the, the scale of this disruption is if, if everybody who has a job in the Western world that commutes, okay, so let's say that's a couple of billion people now have an extra hour a day, what could happen with that time? Yeah, that, that was my, my wife's first uh thought was, oh my gosh, I have 90 minutes back in my day. What am I going to do with that? Mm-hmm. That That's, that's definitely, um, I mean, you can imagine that cars uh, will no longer have seats necessarily facing forward to a steering wheel, but it could be like an office desk or a lounge room or, I mean, it just redefines this, this, this huge part of your day um, that some people will do for 40 or 50 years, spending an hour, hour and a half each, uh, each and every workday is, is now open for new experiences and new activities. Um, and to, to really think that coming off the back of that, there was a recent, a very recent, say it's brand new, it's called Rethinking Transportation 2020 to 2030, We've put it in the show notes, uh, so you can grab them at moonshots.io. Um, they predict that within 13 years, 95% of all miles driven in the U.S. will be autonomous and electric-driven miles. Now, if you think about what this means, if you think about what this means, uh, it's changing well within our own lifetime. I think the big takeaway for me in this is to not be caught flat footed in whatever industry you're working in, because there are going to be people like Elon Musk that are inventing entirely new paradigms. And I think a lot of us can be very comfortable in our routines and the way we do things. And if we just continue with that mindset, we're going to be completely disrupted by yeah. this, by this new, I mean, in this, in the transport, it, it's not just the transportation industry. I mean, it, it, it goes so much further beyond that. Oh yeah. It, it, it affects, um, I mean, to, to think about what an hour, if it just assume that it's redefining one hour of your day, um, it, once you've gone to, once you've actually done work, and some sleeping, you actually don't have a lot of hours left in your day. So the fact that you're going to get an extra one, it proportionally is actually an enormous impact on people's lives and all of the economies that work around transportation, which are really big business. Like uh, obviously automobile and energy industries are some of the biggest ones. But what's what's actually revealed in your uh, clip coming up now is Whilst Tesla is very exciting, some argue that actually it's the that Elon is is very much like James Dyson, the uh, vacuum uh, designer, who is very much the master of how to make air move. Some say that really Elon's big thing is understanding battery life and energy itself. So why don't you set the scene for this for your first clip? Yeah, so he's kind of talking about the necessity in order for us to go to a completely or nearly complete electric, you know, electric power system, we simply just need more batteries. The the world's output is not enough to meet this new electric need to to power to power everything. So rather than kind of look at that and and be discouraged and be like, "Well, you know, the world just simply can't make enough batteries, he decides to build his own battery factories. And so here he is explaining these new gigafactories that are churning out tens of thousands of lithium-ion batteries. 
One of your one of your core ideas, Elon, about about what makes an exciting future is a future where we no longer feel guilty about energy.、Um, how help us picture this? I mean, how many gigafactories, if you like, does it take to to get us there?、Uh, it's about a hundred, roughly. It's not ten. It's not a thousand. Most likely a hundred. See, I I, I kind、yeah. of find this amazing. Like you can actually picture, if, if that's right, you can picture what it would take to move the world off this vast、yeah. fossil fuel thing. It's like You're building one, cost five billion dollars. Maybe the next one, or whatever, five to ten billion dollars.、Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of cool that you can picture that that project. And you're planning to do、uh, a Tesla, or at least another two. Announce another two this year. I think I will, we'll announce locations for somewhere between two and four gigafactories later this year. Yeah, probably four. Whoa. I love Chris Anderson's "whoa" at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at, at a certain point, it, it, you, you go, "Oh my gosh!" It, did Elon just say we could all be off carbon-based energy if we just had a hundred gigafactories? And that's that's what he was saying, right? Yeah, yeah. That the first one's going to cost five billion, and then you know, I'm building the first few, but. He's hoping that there are more entrants into the market, but yeah, it. He essentially has he's done the math. It, he's so well researched in all of the subjects in which his companies are working. He's 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 done the math and figured out that he just needs a, a hundred of these gigafactories, and we can be completely off of off of fossil fuels. And it's it's incredible to me to see how he just breaks down. A seemingly insurmountable task, like how do we wean ourselves off of unsustainable fossil fuels, and then figures out, yeah, the number is a hundred or around a hundred. We just need a hundred of these gigafactories, and then we'll have enough batteries to power, yeah. yeah, to power everything. So I think when when we think about embarking on our own missions to create new things in the world, I I think what we can take out of this one was. Again, he demonstrates: do the math, know what it takes,、um, and I think that、um, that's a recurring theme in the you know the techniques that he is using、uh, across you know the six active companies that he has at the moment. It, it, the math always is、uh, super super logical. Now, what else have you got in your、uh, in your clip goodie bag? I just I wanted to say one more thing is he breaks it he does the math and breaks it down and he chooses something that's like just barely feasible and might not work so like when he I mean this gigafactory is enormous and when he first started to build it he didn't know that it would work out that he'd be able to to in fact make as many batteries as as they needed so he's not going into it with certainty he's still kind of taking a little bit of You know, a chance and experimenting with it,、um, but it's just far enough out there where if he hits the mark, he can really, you know, get that 10x return that he's looking for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's solving such a massive problem, which is you know a big part of innovation is tackling big problems. That even if he's only like 80% right on his hypothesis, he's already in the strike zone anyway of of、uh, something that really matters. So.、Um, A lot of a lot of takeouts on that one. So so, what's the next、uh, next little one you've got in that goodie bag? This one again is kind of about his personal philosophy and just I think you know why he is driven so much to innovation. So I'll just let him speak for himself. I think I look at the future from a standpoint of of the probabilities. It's like it's like a branching stream of probabilities, and there are actions that we can take that affect. Those probabilities, or that accelerate one thing, or slow down another thing, or make you know introduce something new to the probability stream. Sustainable energy will happen no matter what. If there was no Tesla, Tesla never never existed. It it would have to happen out of necessity. It's tautological. The, the fundamental value of a company like Tesla is the degree to which it it accelerates the advent of sustainable energy、uh, faster than it would otherwise occur. So when I think like what is the fundamental good of coming like Tesla, I would say hopefully it does. If if it if it accelerated that by a decade, potentially more than a decade, that would be quite a good thing to occur. That's what I consider to be 
the, the, the fundamental sort of aspirational good of, of Tesla. And so in, in that line of thinking, Elon is putting innovation at the heart of the mission of everything that he's doing. He's saying, I want to go down the branch, you know, of a positive potential future, not a stagnant or uh, negative potential future. Yeah, the 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 idea. So when you hear what he does with these branching uh, probabilities, he's touching on this theme of inevitability and um, to to kind of learn how we can do this. I would actually give the example of Google's thinking around their own autonomous vehicle unit, which was driven out of SpaceX, sorry, out of Google X. And here's the, the interesting theme that I see with, with Elon and other great um, inventors and innovators of our time is they ask us, they ask themselves what is truly inevitable. Now, when you take autonomous driving, the reason it's so powerful as an idea is that a computer can drive so much better than a human because you can have multiple cameras uh, with multiple sets of data when humans just have two eyes and ears to drive with. So we have such a limited view. And so both Elon and other great entrepreneurs always seem to have this thing of what's inevitable, what is the most likely thing. Of course, it makes so much sense, you know, Electric cars, autonomous cars, all these things make so much sense. They are inevitable. The benefits are so big that they, they make it worth going on this journey. And, and this is at the heart of how, how we can all put this kind of thinking into action is in your respective field, what are the inevitable developments that are going to vastly improve a situation and bet on be part of those because Actually, if you look at his six companies, Elon is making big bets, but on very inevitable ideas such as cities getting overwhelmed with traffic, uh, homes being energy independent, uh, the need for space travel, um, the the need for a smarter, more intuitive uh, artificial intelligence. At every point, they're so inevitable, and so he's almost halfway to victory just by betting uh, on the right type of race. But they're not inevitable, Mike, because like in the science fiction world, sure, like you can write it down and it sounds like a really cool future to live in. The, The catch that Elon says beautifully in this next clip is that we still have to choose to create that that new inevitable future. And so here he is talking about the history of the U.S. space program and why we're not destined automatically, you know, to, be, to become a multiplanetary species. Becoming a multiplanetary species in space spacefaring civilization, this is not inevitable. If you look at, the, at the, the progress in space, in 1969, we were able to send somebody to the moon. 1969. Mm. Um, then we had the, the space shuttle. The, the space shuttle could only take people to low Earth orbit. Mm. Then the space shuttle retired, and the United States could take no one to orbit. So that's the trend. The trend is like down to nothing. This is not. People are mistaken when they think that technology just automatically improves. It does not automatically improve. It, it only improves if a lot of people work very hard to make it better. And actually, it, it will. I think it by itself degrade, actually. Mm-hmm. You look at great civilizations like ancient Egypt, and they were able to make the pyramids, and they forgot how to do that. Mm. And the Romans, they built these incredible aqueducts. They forgot how to do it. See, so it's this interesting paradox that we're caught in, mm. right? Mm. Great point, great point. Yeah, the, the, I mean, how sad was it? when he starts to roll out the decline of the U.S. space program and you're just like, oh, my gosh, you're so right. I mean, it's happening in front of us. But he, present, he presents that um, 
and in such a such a dry way. But I, I think the the takeout really here is he's uh, he's like seizing the day. He's like, well, just because uh, maybe the the federal authorities are not driving space travel like they used to, he's just jumping in, right? Yeah, because I think he he understands that to close that, like to solve the paradox, like he, he has to insert himself and his ability to bring the right people and the right resources, you know, to create these uh, these positive potential futures. I think if you take a look at everything that he's done, it is bridging this gap between this kind of science fiction future that we know we could have or maybe even should have had at this point. And then, you know, what, what is actually happening on the ground to, to make that possible, you know, because we thought we'd have flying cars a hundred years ago, but hmm. we, but we don't, we thought there would be, you know, Android replicants uh, roaming the streets of, you know, new Shanghai or whatnot, you know, today, you know, it, None of that has come to pass because no one has taken the time and the resources to see if that is something that, you know, would work and, and, and can become a, you know, a viable business and a viable service. Why, why do you think he's so um, confident to go where others will never go? Why? Where does he get that confidence from? I don't know that I know. I don't know that, that anyone knows. Um, some very great resources for, for people to check out is the Wait But Why series by Tim Urban. I would highly recommend it. It's a blog series, uh, kind of a biographical or a company biographical um, essays on what Elon is working on. Ashley Vance's book on Elon Musk is also a great resource uh, and between those two, I think you can get a better picture, but I, I don't know that I actually know why. My sense of it is that after applying his thinking, some of the mental models that we've been talking about, the, the branching possibilities, the 10X, the storytelling, I'm guessing that in his mind, he's so familiar with the use case, he's broken it down you know how he seems, he kind of seems very clinical and logical. He just breaks it all down into this set of issues or steps or improvements that need to happen. I think down, down to first principles, yeah. I think is kind of what he says. I, I, I'm betting that that's where his confidence is coming from. He's, he's basically broken it down as such. And he's like, this is not so hard. You just need to do all these things. And, you know, step one looks like this, boom, boom, boom. I have a feeling that that's where where some of his his uh, underlying determination and, and courage come from. But I know you've got some clips that speak to some more of his uh, his behavioural things that he does. So why don't you hit us with one of those? This is just one of the more inspiring things that he said while he was on stage, and um, I think it kind of hints as to why he does these, these grand projects, um, you know, to overcome seemingly insurmountable odds. Why Elon? Cause this, cause like, why do we need to build a city on Mars with a million people on it? To have a future that is inspiring and appealing. I mean, I, I just think that there, like there have to be reasons that you get up in the morning and you want to live. Like, why do you want to live? What, what's the point? What, what inspires you? What, what do you love about the future? And if, if we're not out there, if the future does not include being out there among the stars uh, and being a multi-planet species, I find that, in, that it's incredibly depressing if that's not the future that we're going to have. And I know this, this clip may seem a little out of context because he's, he's talking about a million people living on Mars. Um, which, again, is something that he sees as inevitable, and it's the reason why SpaceX exists. Um, but I don't want to gloss over the fact that he gets up in the morning and he looks at the work that he's doing, and he's happy. You know, He sees that as his mission. He has something that he considers meaningful to do. 
and he, he set his bar very high, right? It's like, you know, 10 X or more in mm. each of these industries. Mm. And, but for and, him, I think that's, that's what it takes. Yes. And he wants to do it at great scale because as I mentioned, he wasn't happy just, you know, uh, providing a very successful company that did mapping and location services for newspapers online. That wasn't nearly enough for him. And I think why this really matters is this is a source of energy for him. And I would reflect on uh, any big project um, that we work on. I think we often find when we really care about the vision that gives us purpose and helps us overcome, you know, what we call the valley of darkness when everything is going wrong. And I know that he's strong on this because he faced a time when both Solar City and Tesla were not in good shape. Uh, it was around the 2008 uh, recession mm -hmm. and no one would invest. The prototypes were not going well. And he wrote a check to both companies. Well, and SpaceX too. Don't forget SpaceX. Oh, yes, that's right. And it was the last of his dollars. And after their first successful test that he funded, because they did several unsuccessful ones on SpaceX, something that uh, uh, our listeners might not know, they actually got a call the next day, the next day uh, after their first successful launch, and NASA informed them that they had won a billion dollar contract and then the company was off to the races. Yeah, everything, you know, looks great in hindsight, but I think it is uh, easy for us to forget um, how much uh, Elon had to, had to experiment and test all of these ideas out to see if they would actually, actually work. Right. And, and underlying his determination to do that is he has a very strong uh, sense of not only inspiration, but, but why he, he's looking forward so much of the time. So let's, let's listen to this clip that's coming now towards the very end of the, the interview. So here's Elon talking about the future and inspiration. I think, I think the, the value of beauty and inspiration is very much underrated, no question. Um, but I want to be clear. I, like, I'm not trying to be anyone's savior. Uh, that is not the... I, I'm just trying to think about the future and not be sad. So isn't that, isn't that a... It's such a, a, a almost melancholy... Like, he doesn't want to be in that that world where the future is full of... Uh, mediocrity or unrealized p potential. I, I think he is brutal, being brutally honest and frank here. And in fact, um, one of the things that I think we can take from this is for all of the logic and problem solving that we apply to, to opportunities in the world to create something, we also need a little bit of kind of emotional juice in the tank. And uh, I found that, um, uh, you know, the greatest leaders of, of, of innovative companies often have this pairing of intense logic and acumen, but also um, some real, real fire in the belly, you know. They believe in what they're doing. They believe in their mission and, and the positive impact. Uh, that it can have in the world. Um, so I thought that was a great way for us uh, to to wrap up on, on, on the, the clips. So, Chad, I want to ask you, you know, having listened to these clips and, and talked about them together, what are the, the big themes that you're walking away with and you'd ask our, our listeners to, to really reflect on? It's hard for me to be exposed to, you know, a great uh, window into, into Elon Musk's thinking with this conversation he had with Chris Anderson on the TED stage 
and not want to just go even deeper into learning more about him and his history with his companies, what his companies are doing and, you know, trying to figure out what he's doing behind the scenes even. Um, so we've compiled a lot of resources for all of you listeners in the show notes. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me is clearly Elon Musk thinks about the world differently than most people. And what are some of the mental models that he's created for himself? I'm pretty sure, you know, for his entire adult life, you know, how, what are those models and how can I work to incorporate those in my own, in my own line of work and in my own life? Um, and the one that, that sticks out the most is his idea of thinking of innovation in terms of orders of magnitude or powers of 10. So how can I use my time and talents and effort to make a 10 X change, not a 10% change? Yeah. And that's, that's really tough because there, there's not a lot of areas in our life where we can do that. But if we find that area, then we need to double down on it. And right. I think that's what Elon has done. He's, he's recognized his own talents and what they're best and resources and what they're best used for and, and just double down on that because he knows he can get that, that 10 X return. Yes. I, I found great. Um, I found it um, very helpful to remind myself of the, you know, being deep into the details of the use case and almost being mathematical, like a human calculator in processing and crunching it down and pairing that with that 10 X thinking that you, that you mentioned thinking really big it comes so natural to him. I think it's right to to say that for most of us, we don't think that big, but he really does. So I think really expanding on your on your inventions or your business ideas, and 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 really trying to get to a point where your view and your vision is to create something that's ten times better. I think is something we can all take out of this. I found that I found that uh, uh, really really powerful, and uh, um, what a great way uh, to get an insight into an entrepreneur who is actively working on six. Di- I mean, can you believe six different companies right now, all of which having really significant uh, impact uh, on the world? So. Um, but he's not the only one, right? Ah, I mean, yes. who are some other people that, that you've been thinking about, uh, exploring and investigating? Yes. Yes. So let's, so let's talk about the next show. Um, I think we definitely want to get lots of feedback from friends and listeners. Um, I, I tell you, um, some people that come to my mind, I think the obvious person who is on an Elon Musk uh, level right now has to be Jeff Bezos. I think he is having an enormous impact on the world, not only with Amazon, but but like Elon, he's got his own space projects as well. I think Jeff is is a is a big one. Could you could you do a little bit of Jeff Bezos, Chad? Oh yeah, I have been an Amazon Prime subscriber for as long as it's existed, and in fact, I think I had three packages arrive <laughs> arrive today. Um, I'm a big believer uh, and user of of what he's doing. I am. I actually came across um, an an email from a mentor of mine, Gary Hoover, who uh, founded Hoover's, and mm-hmm. he was making the case. Um, that the f- the founder and still CEO of FedEx, Fred Smith, is arguably uh, the greatest active living entrepreneur uh, in terms of just longevity and impact. Um, so I, I'm I'm taking a, you know a more traditional um, approach in, in thinking about who we sh- should talk about, but um, we've got a lot more uh, people in mind to to speak about too. So oh, yeah, we want to we want to hear from. From from you, the listeners, um, and who you'd be interested in 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 unpacking conversations and, and pieces of media with. Yeah, can I just say, um, going on, uh, just looking at other different types of entrepreneurs beyond the the tech sector, um, 
I really think Oprah Winfrey is someone we should uh, take a look at. I also think brand new relative to some of these other entrepreneurs is the Honest Company that was founded by Jessica Alba, the, the actress. I think that's a really, really interesting company and I think it's quite remarkable uh, what she's done. But I'm sure that, that the listeners have got a ton of suggestions as well, right? Yes. So you can find um, all of the show notes um, that we've talked about today, every, you know, every mention of media and, and, and articles and books and, and things that you should check out. Um, you can find that at moonshots.io. Um, also, you can leave feedback there for us. And of course, we'd appreciate a rating and review um, at your you know, podcatcher of choice. Yes. And um, we, we really want to uh, build not only uh, the Moonshots podcast into something that's in, inspiring, but insanely useful. So we need uh, our listeners to tell us what they, what they need and, uh, and whom they would like us to, to deconstruct. So I'm going to wrap up uh, here from a very uh, sunny but wintry uh, at the same time, Sydney, and um, looking forward to, to being with our listeners again next month when we deconstruct a famous innovator and entrepreneur. And good night from New York City. Mike, I look forward to uh, our next conversation. Yes, me too. And just so you know, the Warriors are leading the Cavs in the, in the NBA finals. So uh, my heart is still with that golden state. So it's a strong way to wrap. So take care, Chad. Cheers, Mike. Bye-bye.